Go ahead and uh, find a seat again, please. And if you want to turn to uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, at least part of our time we'll be looking at that passage, Colossians chapter 1. I'd encourage you uh, this week, if you think of it, um, the Heartbeat for Africa group uh, heads out to Africa, I believe, today. Um, we have uh, had a number of people from our church that participate with them, people from Pantano, and uh, the president and some of the board members are here this morning, but um, the, I think the educational group goes out, and uh, they're heading out this week. So if you think of Heartbeat for Africa and the group that's going over to Ghana, um, remember them. We are in our second week of this short series on the five solas. We started last week. There are five Latin phrases which over time came together as a summary statement of what the church returned to um, through the changes that are initiated during the Reformation. Um, each statement of the five are both a declarative statement of truth as well as a response or a corrective in nature to what was going on in the church at that time and what's going on um, in our world today as well. It's not much different. By way of reminder, we have them up on the screen. It's Sola Scriptura, which has to do with, it's according to Scripture alone, which we will um, cover later. Sola Gratia, with by grace alone. Sola Fide, through faith alone. Uh, sola, sola Christus, in Christ alone. And Sola Deo Gloria, which is in, to the glory of God alone. And last week, we summarized it like this. We are justified by grace alone on the basis of Christ's blood and righteousness alone, through the means or instrument of faith alone, for the ultimate glory of God alone, as taught with final and decisive authority in Scripture alone. Today we're going to look at uh, Solus Christus. Um, I'm going to be in Michigan next week, um, so uh, Brian uh, Goodall will be uh, sharing and, and continue his uh, work on his transformational prayer, be preaching and then the week after that, Alex should be um, teaching over at Redemption Tucson. And so Marty Brown, one of our elders, will be preaching on the 28th. Um, and then we will come back the first couple weeks of August and do Sola Scriptura and uh, one about God's glory alone as we wrap up that series. We began last week by grace alone through faith alone. I just want to make uh, two comments about that, um, just to add on a couple things. Um, one, when we look at um, by grace through faith, um, we were doing it in reference to justification and salvation. This has to do, where does, where does salvation come from? It's by grace through faith alone. Um, it's the means to justification. So we saw that grace is given freely. It's unmerited. We can't earn it or deserve it. And I said that that was good news because then we can't lose it because of what we've done or failed to do. Having said that, and Paul addresses it as well, once we're justified, once we're made his child, um, we still keep receiving his unmerited grace. It doesn't mean that we can just do whatever we want. Um, justification should always show itself in a changed life, in faithfulness, growth, service, lives that are marked by holiness. Again, those things don't earn us his grace. The grace enables us and shows up in lives that show change. Um, and that's where Paul addresses that, that if, if we've been saved by grace through faith, it should show up. 
and supposed to look up. We're not to take advantage of that, but we're to live lives of holiness. Second of all, um, the, the idea of faith is a hard one. What does it mean to have faith? Um, and sometimes hard to get a hold of. At the time of the Reformation, the word faith, um, they would use that word in, um, to refer to a belief system. So it's like my faith. It's a system of things. Um, not necessarily personal. It was not a hard attitude towards God. It's like when you hear um, uh, people get on a stage and they'll talk about something hard and they'll say, my faith got me through it. They're not really talking about faith in something. They're talking about sometimes this religious system, this belief system that they've, that they've uh, adopted in their life and that is valuable to them, like a set of beliefs. The Reformers were calling people back to a faith that's a personal trust in someone, not embracing a religious system um, or even specific doctrines, but trust, dependence in the person alone of Jesus and his work on the cross. So salvation or justification comes simply by turning to Jesus in trust. It's a real simple, it's just turning to him. I'm not going to trust myself, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to place my hope in him. For, for many of us here, when you came to Christ, and that was true for me, um, I didn't know very much. I didn't know very many doctrinal things. I didn't know many beliefs. All I knew, I knew Jesus, and I knew he had died for me. That's it. And I turned to that, and that brought salvation. It's not trusting all those other things. It's trusting in Jesus and putting our dependence on him alone. And that is what um, we need faith in, Jesus alone, as we, even as we live our Christian life after coming to Christ. To continue, um, the Christian life continues to be one of turning, to, not to doctrines, not to certain things we have to believe in, uh, but specifically Jesus, that he died for us and he's crucified for us, um, turning over and over again back to him. And by the way, that's why we do this every seven days. Um, but it actually needs to be a moment-by-moment thing where we're constantly remembering to turn to him, to turn to him. Say, Jesus, you've got to help me. You've got to help me. As we'll review today, it is faith in Christ alone. B.B. Warfield said this, the saving power of faith resides not in itself, but in the almighty Savior on whom it rests. And I love A.W. Tozer, who defines faith, the gaze of the soul upon a saving God. That makes it really clear for me. I'm just going to turn my heart back to him over and over again, and then the Holy Spirit will begin to build up faith in our hearts. Today we're on solus Christus, which is Christ alone. As I said, these statements are a declarative of a truth as well as corrective in nature. The medieval church at the time of the Reformation would have um, had no disagreements with reformers about the nature of Jesus. They all believed in Christ and who he was. Um, they would not have disagreed about that. There was no debate about the person of Christ. But as we've seen last week, they added things on. And what the reformers objected to was the Catholic Church's understanding of the work of Christ. Not the person of Christ, but the work of Christ. And they taught two things primarily that the reformers were arguing against. Once the... Uh, they taught that the, the work of Christ on the cross was not sufficient to save. The work of Christ on the cross is part of it, but you, we had to do other things as well to come together with that in order to save. And it primarily included participation in the church's system, uh, participation in the various sacraments of the church, to be faithful to those things, this whole system of things that you just do and check off the list along with Christ's work and that's where salvation came from. The reformers were objecting against that. 
that you didn't need to do any of those things. All could be good things, but they were not um, what saved you. Christ's work alone was sufficient. The reformers argue that it's actually a denial of Christ, a denial of Christ, and a diminishing of his work on the cross to ground salvation in Christ and. And you can put and after and, whatever you want. But when you do Christ and, it diminishes Christ and it diminishes his work. And it, and it says that his work was not sufficient. And the reformer said his work alone was sufficient. And second of all, um, the reformers, uh, or the church at the time, taught that the graces of God were not mediated, brought to people through Christ alone, but the graces of Christ were mediated through the church and those who led the church. In effect, uh, salvation ultimately came through the church. Forgiveness gets mediated through the priest. The church held control of everything. And reformers objected to that, saying that Christ is our only mediator. It's through Christ alone, period. We aren't saved by men or the pope or a priest or a pastor through an institution, through good works, not even our good faith, but we are rescued by Christ alone as our only mediator. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, if you ever did the Navigator memory pack, this is one of those first ones in there. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at a proper time. One mediator between God and man. It's the man, Christ Jesus. Christ alone is our only mediator, and he alone gets glory, honor, praise, and credit for rescuing sinners who are desperate. Christ alone reminds us that Jesus is the center of the Christian life. The scriptures say, in him we live, and we move, and we have our being. And reformers are bringing the church back to that again, um, once again. So let's take a minute and let's let the scriptures speak. Um, if you have Colossians 1, you can open it. We'll have it up here as well. Um, this is one of those passages of scripture that preaches itself. You, you can't add anything to this. We're actually going to be uh, going through Colossians beginning in um, September. Um, we'll go through from middle of September through uh, in early February. Um, so we will preach to some of the points. But it's one of those things you just let... These verses speak for themselves. So let's very briefly walk through it and just let the impact of what's being said here kind of wash over us. When we start thinking about Christ alone, what are we talking about? Every verse is about Jesus Christ here. Take note wherever it says in, through, by, uses all these, are those pronouns? No. What are they? What do they call it? It's been a long time. Prepositions? Apologize to my English teacher. Take note of them. It says, by him. It doesn't say by him and something else. It says, by him we are delivered from darkness and brought into his kingdom, verse 13. I love that. Jesus not only rescues us out, but then he places us somewhere else. He does both. In him. You could write the word alone after that because it just says in him. We have redemption and forgiveness, verse 14. Again, that's good news for us, because if it's in him plus something, we're still lost, because we can never add enough. It just never, never adds up. By him, we'll sing this later, uh, by him, through him, and for him, verse 16, all things are created. That means that he's preeminent. That means that he has all authority. That means that everything comes underneath him. 
and in him all things hold together. Um, I have no idea what that means, but it's a very, it, it's just in him what, some things, a few things, important things, it says all things hold together. And all I know is if we remove Christ alone, we're in trouble and things come apart. Our whole understanding of God comes apart, our understanding of the Trinity comes apart, our understanding of salvation comes apart, our very, very means by which we get delivered begins to fall apart. Verse 18, everything is to be what? It's for him. And everything we do, we talk about that fair amount here. When we go out from here and we're in home and we're driving and we're working and we're interacting with people, we're doing all the different crafts that God has gifted us to do in the world, all things are to be done for him. In him, it says, all the fullness of God dwells. So what more could we add to that? And because of that, he's able to be sufficient in his work on the cross. Through him, this is where it gets really clear, all things are reconciled. Whatever that looks like down the road as God does his work, it's through him, not Christ and something else. Verse 18, through him comes peace through the blood of his cross. Listen to it again. I'm going to read the whole passage. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us to the kingdom of his son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He's before all things. In him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Because of who Jesus is and was and will be, when he was on the cross and he said it's finished, his work was sufficient. That means it's sufficient for all our sin and more. That We talked about that last week. You can pour out as much grace as you want, and the cup never gets lower. It just continues it comes. And his work was sufficient to cover all the sin. It's all we need. And because of who he is, we can come to him directly with confidence, as the scriptures say, to receive grace to help in time of need. We don't need something else in order to get right with God, and we don't need someone else in order to come towards him and approach him again. And the door is wide open as he's made that work done. He's accomplished it for us. As, as, uh, and the door to heaven stands open for those who come in faith, and we have ready access to the one who's always with us. It may seem obvious, but why is this so important? Christ alone. Um, why does it matter? To say Jesus only, Jesus alone, Jesus only in our world today does not sit well. And I'd like to suggest uh, three reasons why it matters. First one, obviously, because the scriptures teach it. Um, our, our final authority in life teaches it. Listen to these verses from Luke 24. Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses, Jesus, um, with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The scriptures from start to finish were to be about him. John chapter 5, Jesus says this, The Father who sent me has himself bore witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me. They refuse to come to me that you may have life. Um, we talk about the Trinity a lot here. We never want to diminish that. But it all comes revolves around and we see Christ because Christ is the incarnate one. He's the way we know them. Again, John 5 says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. For whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but passes from death to life. Again, Jesus is the center of it all. Jesus is the, the, the one who brings it to us. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The scriptures teach it's Christ alone. Our, our rescue, our salvation, our, our transferredness from this, this place of lostness and, and missing what God intended for us, for relationship with him, with other people, and for the impact we're called to make, he rescues us and brings us back to that by the work of Christ alone. When he came here so we could see him and know him and find that way in. The scriptures are quite clear. Second of all, it's important because Christ alone brings everything else together. As I said, if you remove that piece, everything else starts coming apart. One theologian writes this, Christ alone and the doctrine of Christ is the center point for all theology. Christ alone and the doctrine of Christ is the center point of all theology, all study of God finds its central point there. J.I. Packer said, Christology, or Christ alone, is the true hub around which the wheel of theology revolves and to which its separate spokes must each be correctly anchored in order for the wheel not to get bent. Another says, Christ is the center, the cornerstone, the jewel and the crown of Christianity is not an idea it's not a system. It's not a thing. It's not even the gospel as such. It is Jesus Christ. Everything we know and believe rises or falls on Christ. We can, we can struggle with all sorts of different theological ideas. Um, we need to get this one right, that Christ alone, and it brings everything else together. We can't know the Father except through Jesus. We don't know what God is like except through the incarnate Christ. We don't know what our sin is like unless we understand the cross of Christ. And we can't know how much God loves us until we've come in touch with the, our Lord who loves us and showed it to us. Christ alone is not a slogan. It's the, the center of the five solas, the center of the gospel, the, the center of our lives. And there's, lots of, there's lots of good things to give attention to. There's no end to them. Um, but they will all be out of place if we do not keep Christ alone as the thing most central. Um, here at, at the Vineyard, we should remind ourselves of this more often, but we have five key values. What's our first one? Anybody know? Jesus is the center. 
the center. That's, that's where it all starts. The great error in all other religions and cults is that they err on who Jesus is, and therefore err on where salvation and rescue is found, for it's found in Christ alone. And then the last reason why this is important, it goes back to the beginning of last week, that um, the church is in great danger of drifting from it. Um, remember some of our stats from last week. Speaking, and This is speaking about people who identify as evangelicals, people who identify that they're born-again Christians. Almost 40% agreed that God will save all good people regardless of whether they have trusted in Christ. 51% believe that God accepts the worship of all religions. And over 30% believe that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It's not about objective truth. That's within the evangelical church today. We struggle with those, don't we? We live uh, in a world of plurality and increasing relativism. The idea of absolutes or any notion of exclusivity in regards to beliefs is seen as out of touch with reality. It's misinformed and it's just wrong-hearted towards people. The uniqueness and exclusivity of Christ in our day of rampant philosophical and religious pluralism, pluralism just doesn't sit well. And sometimes it doesn't sit well with us either. This worldview is just as present in the church as it is outside. As I said, we can all struggle with this because we get immersed in it all day long. That's where we spend our lives, in a world that thinks differently. As we sometimes call it, we go out into the world and we get restoried by it to different ways of understanding the world and our purpose and place in it. And it, it just washes over us and it begins to shake up our hearts. And it begins to sound right. And so we remember Jesus alone, Christ alone, week by week by week in order to be realigned to what's true. This is, this is a hard statement, but one author put it this way, this idea of Christ alone. It offends because it challenges the religious pluralism of our day. It is offensive because it suggests one way is better than others. And by doing so, it calls into question what others believe. It is offensive because it disregards the popular notion that truth is relative. It's offensive because it's exclusive, because it says that salvation is through Christ and through Christ alone, and by doing so, it condemns every other religion and belief system that does not teach reconciliation with God through faith in Christ. It's offensive because it claims to be true. But it goes on to say this, we don't only affirm Christ alone in the name of truth, we must also affirm Christ alone in the name of love. For salvation in Christ alone, while exclusive, is astoundingly inclusive. For it is a way of salvation that is open to everyone, no matter where you were born, what your ethnicity is, what your social rank is, no matter how righteous or unrighteous of a life you've lived. It takes no account of how old or wise or rich or successful or good-looking you are. It is a gift purchased for you by Jesus a gift that you do not need to earn, you only need to receive through faith in the one who offers it. And this gift when received is not just an affirmation of the truth that salvation is in Christ alone, it is a means by which we enter into that incredible relationship with God that he has longed for since the day we departed. When we water that down, we don't have good news for the world anymore. We just have another idea. 
We come every seven days to have our hearts and our minds recalibrated to the one true story of the world and our place in it. Not to cling to, as some would call it, an ancient outdated beliefs, but to return to the always relevant one truth that matters, which we find in Christ alone. The truth of Christ alone is the only hope for the world, the only means to restore to our creator and to our purposes in our world today. Jesus died a, a very, very real death to pay for very real sin, to bring us into a very real relationship with the triune God who makes us his beloved children. So hear the good news. Um, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's good news for us today. I'm going to have Janice and our, our music team can come back up. The central moment of our gathering every single week is the table. And there's one here on the side in the back as well. Around this table, we remember the story, the one true story of the world. We remember Jesus. We remember our lostness, and we celebrate our foundness in him. As we often say that Jesus is not only the focus of the table, he's also the host. And for all those who have trusted in Christ, he's, he, we have a seat, a, a place to sit around this table. It's for all those who have come to Christ by grace through faith, and it's our weekly opportunity to be realigned to Jesus and to have the compass needle of our hearts recalibrated to the one who gave his life for us. If you're visiting here at the vineyard, it's open to you. If you know the Lord, we, we break the bread off, remembering his body that was uh, given for us, and we dip in the cup, remembering his blood that was shed. Hear these words from Luke 22 and Philippians 2. When the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I love that because he's waiting. He's waiting for that day. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to him, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. As we sing, uh, you're invited to the table. <clears throat>